0: So please take God's word and turn to Mark 3. Thank you, Daniel, Jennifer, Mr. Moyer, Mrs. Heinlein, for serving us in the music ministry. What a blessing to sing those rich hymns. Amen. Now we're privileged to open up the truth and study it together. I want to begin this morning by reading... Mark 3, verses 1 to 6. Mark 3, verse 1. He entered again into a synagogue. And a man was there whose hand was withered. They were watching him to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. He said to the man with the withered hand, get up and come forward. And he said to them, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to kill? But they kept silent. After looking around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately began conspiring with the Herodians against him as to how they might destroy him. Pray with me. Father, we come before you in the name of your Son. We ask that you give us the grace to understand these words. Impress its true meaning onto our hearts and give us the assistance we need to apply it correctly. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's a fairly new Christianese mantra that is commonly spoken these days. Perhaps you have said it yourself. And if I were a betting man, which I'm not, I would bet that you've heard it several times before. It goes like this. Christians should be known more by what they are for rather than what they are against. You've heard that before? Maybe you've even said it before. Now that sentiment is surely diplomatic. It's a peaceful idea. And it's definitely good to be a peacemaker. It's good to be a peaceful person. And at times we can, especially in conservative circles, we can tend to be a little bit too critical and a little bit too polemical. Polemical meaning corrective. But at the same time, That sentiment isn't really all that biblical either. Consider the prophets. When you think of Old Testament prophets, what do you think of? Preaching against sin. When you read the New Testament epistles, do you know why they were written? The majority of them were written to correct bad theology which is the root of bad living. You read the book of Galatians, for example, and you know, right out, the, right out the gate, Paul is against the Judaizers. And then we consider our Lord Jesus revealed in the Gospels. He spoke plenty about what he was against, didn't he? Plenty. Arguably, the thing that he was against the most was legalistic hypocrisy. And again, to review, there are two main types of legalism. The first is this. You must do, perform, or partake of works or ritual as a means of your justification. The second type of legalism is this. You must do, perform, or partake of works or ritual as a means of your sanctification both are bad to put it lightly the jewish leaders that jesus dealt with throughout his ministry were really proponents of both they viewed their own rules and regulations as a way to earn merit with god and they viewed their rules and regulations as their premium standard to be enforced to adherence of Judaism. And so when Jesus had an exchange with them, I think it's clear to see that he spent no time dialoguing about what they could agree on. He didn't talk about anything positive. He didn't attempt to establish some type of common ground. He didn't seem to care about being known for being against the Pharisees, did he? He never encouraged them. He discouraged them. He never edified them. He defied them. He never not once affirmed them. He disapproved of them, and he never commended them. He condemned them. So at this point in our study of the Gospel of Mark, I think it's clear to see that Jesus had no problem being known for what or who he was against. He was diametrically, publicly opposed to the legalistic Pharisees. And there was never a question about it. The passage we'll look at this morning, like last Sunday, focuses on another confrontation between Jesus and... And the leaders of first century Judaism. It's centered on the last of five conflict episodes between Jesus and the Pharisees. The series of conflicts began, as you may remember, in chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. The second was in chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. The third, chapter 2, verses 18 to 22. The fourth, in chapter 2, verses 23 through 28, and today, chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, is the fifth episode. And it's the climax to a growing antagonism aimed at Jesus. Now, we say it's the climax because at the end, they conspire to kill Jesus. So in this encounter, Jesus gave the Pharisees a living illustration of scriptural Sabbath observance and his sovereign authority over both man and law. That's the main point. So Mark wants us to see Jesus as Lord here. Jesus is Lord over everything. Even the Sabbath. And since Jesus is Lord of all, he has the right and authority to deal with legalists accordingly, no matter who they are, no matter their position, no matter their seniority, no matter their rank, no matter their prestige. And that's one thing that I'm always encouraged about when I go to Scripture. It doesn't matter what little education you have, right? It doesn't matter where you've been, where you're from. What you've done. When it comes to Christianity. We are all on equal footing. Last week we learned the four keys to rightly coexist with legalists. By looking at a confrontation regarding Sabbath day law. God's law versus man-made law. We observe from the text that. If you're going to coexist with. Legalist in a Christ-like way, you should feel free to enjoy your, your Christian liberty. And maybe I should clarify something on that one in case I left any confusion in your thinking last week. You know, you can't say everything in one sermon, right? <laughs> I was not at all saying that we should not be cognizant or caring of weak Christians. In other words, we don't need to wear our liberty as a badge. At the same time, you cannot convince me that we need to conform our lives to extra-biblical rules. So though I would not shove my liberty in someone's face, no one has the right to tell you or I, I can't do something that Scripture doesn't condemn. Amen? Is that clear for you? Okay. (laughs) Okay. The second key was to expect judgment, right? Just like we'll always have the poor with us, we'll always have legalists with us. So don't be surprised when you are judged wrongly. Then ask questions, ask heart-probing questions to a legalist that judges you. Then after you have probed their heart, speak truth like Jesus did. And then let the chips fall where they may. So picking up on the next Sabbath day, this is important, okay? So when we go from um Mark two, twenty-three to twenty-eight, to Mark three, one to six, one week has transpired. Okay, that's that's one one of the dangers, right, of expository preaching is that is that we tend to take take one, two, three, four, five verses at a time, and, and, and we and it's easy for us to lose the context, okay? So so this this text this morning takes up a week later, on the next Sabbath day, he encounters the Pharisees again. This time it's not out in the open in the field, this time it's in a house of worship, it's in a synagogue. And here in this text we are going to learn more about legalists. We are going to learn about their character. The evangelist in this passage reveals four characteristics of a legalist. And by knowing what these characteristics are, by taking them out of the text and observing them, you will, number one, be able to ensure that you are not a legalist and that you don't become one. You don't want to become a legalist, do you? So you need to know what one is so you don't morph into one. And secondly, kind of building off of what we talked about last week, if you can know what a Pharisee looks like by knowing their characteristics, you'll, you'll be ready to coexist with them in a Christ-like manner. So if you missed last week, that's okay. It's good um, to hear this one first, actually. If if, if you haven't heard the sermon from last week, I'd encourage you to listen to it um, later during the week or something. But for this morning, we're going to learn four characteristics of a a legalist. The first one is this. Legalists are closed-minded. What's clear in verses 1 and 2 is... Is that these legalists did not come to hear from the son of man. They came to spy. They came to see. If he would do something. That was wrong in their eyes. They were not open to Jesus. They were not open. To what he had to say. Look at verse one. He entered into a synagogue. And a man with a. And there was a man there who had, whose hand was withered, okay? This Greek word translate translate uh, the Greek word that translates the English word "withered, it literally means to make dry. It's used of dead plants that have dried up and wasted away. So the term here suggests that the man's hand was neurologically lifeless or incapacitated. In Luke's account, Luke six. He adds that it was his right hand, implying that since most people are right-handed, that his condition would have been completely debilitating. Now, how many of you are right-handed? Almost everybody. So, so you can you can imagine how difficult life would be with, without your right hand. I mean, have you ever tried to throw a football or write with your left hand? I, I look like. A clown trying to throw a ball with my left hand. And, and so so. in that day, if, if you couldn't have use of your right hand, work was hard to find. So, so we can infer that this man was probably very poor. He was probably a beggar. The, this, the text does not explain what caused this man's affliction. It could have been caused by an accident or a disease. But it really doesn't matter because the focus is not on the physicality of this poor man. The focus of this narrative is squarely on the interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees. Verse 2, it says they were watching him to see if he he would heal them on the Sabbath so that for the purpose of they might accuse him. Now, note the Pharisees were not present to listen to him. They did not go to the synagogue to worship. They did not go um, to this place to give their undivided attention to Jesus so as to have their cups filled with truth. They were there to watch him for the purpose of establishing legal grounds to convict him. They came with evil intent. The intent to catch Jesus, breaking one of their little rabbinical laws. But, since you and I know Jesus, can you imagine how stupid that would be? To to go to a place where Jesus himself is. The only perfect man that had ever walked the face of the planet. And you're sitting there waiting for him to mess up. That's stupid, isn't it? You're wasting your time. But as one as one preacher said, Phariseeism makes you stupid. So just like in the previous section, the Pharisees are concerned with another Sabbath day rule. Last week I mentioned how uh, they had added literally thousands of rules on top of biblical law. Verse 2 says they were watching him to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. So these Pharisees didn't care about this man. All they cared about was the people maintaining their strict regulations. Because that's how legalists maintain control. You see, if the Pharisees could discredit Jesus, they could keep the people's Loyalty. And if they could keep the people's loyalty, then they can control them. They can keep their powerful position. They're in the driver's seat. As long as they had the tight leash of rabbinical law wrapped around tightly the neck of their congregation. To them... Doing anything to improve one's physical condition was wrong because they said it constituted his work. Therefore, anybody giving medical attention to somebody who was not in a life threatening crisis was considered to be in violation of the fourth commandment. Jesus knows they believe that, and Jesus gives no credence to their burdensome regulation. Just like he refused to do in Mark 2.23. Jesus does not cater to them. He knows that they have not come with open minds to hear. Legalists are closed-minded. I'm afraid that many believers behave like the Pharisees in a very comparable way. They show up to church with an unteachable spirit. Many come to the house of worship so in tune with fleshly human tradition and out of tune with the spirit. Many churchgoers are more cognizant of the style of music and the programs offered Than the need to hear God's word read and preached. Many walk into an assembly like this expecting to be entertained, to have their ears tickled, to see drama, or practice a ritual or a sacrament. Rather than to be edified and sanctified through the scriptures. Most. Notice how I went from many to most. Most are not aware that they still have some growing up to do. And if you don't think they have any growing to do. Then you're not going to be teachable. Nobody has arrived, have they? Nobody has arrived. So we need to observe that closed-mindedness is a characteristic of a Pharisee, not of a truly regenerate believer. So I I, I beg you, I beg you, come to church with discerning spirit. Acts 17, right? But also come to church with a teachable spirit. Or else, why come? The second characteristic of a legalist is observable in verses 3 and 4. First, we've seen that they are closed minded. Second, and this might be a little funny for you, legalists are pig headed. I chose that word carefully. A little comical relief. Pig headed. You guys ever use that word pig headed? Maybe you should more often. One response that is typical among pharisaical professing believers is a stubborn unwillingness or refusal to answer truthfully when posed straightforward questions. Look at verse 3. He, Jesus, said to the man with the withered hand, Get up and come forward. And he said to them, the Pharisees, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath to save a life or to kill? What was their response? What's the text say? They kept silent. So why did Jesus call out this man? Well, I think there are two reasons, a primary and a secondary reason. The secondary reason why Jesus calls out to the debilitated man, is because he loves the man. No doubt, in my, There's no doubt in my mind that Christ had compassion for this man. But there's much more on the table than that. The primary reason is this. Jesus does this in order to make an issue. He does this. He's throwing some bait out there. He's going fishing for Pharisees. That should have been the title of my sermon, Fishing for Pharisees. He does this to get their attention. He wants to contend with them. He wants to go on the offense on the matter of Sabbath day rules and their false practices. So he commands, it's in the imperative, he commands the man to stand up. Literally in, in the Greek it reads, rise into the middle. So if if I wanted to make a spectacle, I would say, Aaron, get up, center stage. Everybody, draw your attention to what I'm going to do with him. Let's go. No, I'm just kidding. No skits here, remember? So Jesus summons the man to stand in the center of the synagogue so that everybody could see. Think about that. Jesus wants everybody to see him serve the Pharisees some humble pie. That's amazing to me. See then how Jesus diverts his attention directly to the Pharisees after he calls the man out. Like in the previous section, he asks another heart-probing question. He says, "Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath? To save a life or to kill?" Now that seems like an odd question, doesn't it? Doesn't it? We read that we're like, "Duh, of course it's to save a life." But it's really a brilliant question by our Lord. He's a masterful teacher. It's perfect. It's appropriate for the occasion. You see the parallel the parallelism here? To do good is to save, to do harm is to kill. And so the implication here is which is not sin. Which is consistent with the Mosaic Law. What is the purpose of the Sabbath? Is the Sabbath for man or is the man for Sabbath? To paraphrase what he said in the previous Conflict. Jesus' point is this. It's obviously always right to do right, no matter what day of the week. He's driving home his point again, as he did before. The intent of the Sabbath law was never intended to force people to dispense with compassion. That, that, that mis- The spirit and the intent of that law. And you want want to know the shocking thing? The Pharisees know that. But their tradition has so muddled and canceled out the true law that they lost sight of it. You understand that, right? so many basic truths that you've been taught years and years ago you can begin to act like you forget because you just get used to the routine you just get used to the status quo but they kept silent the same greek word used here is used in mark 4 When referring to Jesus rebuking the sea to be still. So the Pharisees' response was completely stoic. Nonverbal. They were frozen. But mark this. Though you could hear a pin drop, just like you probably can now in this room. That silence was deafening. Deafening. Why did they respond this way? Why did they respond by saying nothing? I mean, these men were so-called experts, right? They should have had something to say. As examples of godliness, they should have said, Jesus, that's a great question. Obviously, it would be lawful to do good. But they're unteachable, right? They—they're uh, being pigheaded. They are being incredibly stubborn. They are being obstinate, headstrong, stiff-necked. I couldn't think of any of the synonyms. <laughs> you get the point. You see what's going on here. And so as—as as I was preparing my message and thinking, how, how how can this apply, okay? Because, you know, in preaching, it's my job to show you the meaning. But it's also my job to help you apply it. So how does this verse apply to us? How is it relevant? Well, I think that the Lord... Has chastised you before for being pig-headed. Sometimes we're all a little pig-headed. Ask my wife, me more than most. There has been plenty of times where I've been asked a straightforward, simple question that exposed an idol in my heart. There's been plenty of times where a man who loved me or a woman who loved me asked me a question about how I'm living. And so I think there's a remnant of legalism in all of us because by nature, we're stubborn. We hate to admit when we're wrong, don't we? But with God's help, We can all take off a stubborn mind and we can put on a reasonable, yielding, flexible mind towards our true brothers and sisters. James 3, the wisdom from above. Now, to be clear, you know, we need to be firm with the gospel, right? We need to be firm with the fundamentals, but we need to observe that pig-headedness. Is a characteristic of a Pharisee, not a truly regenerate believer. So far we've seen that legalists are closed-minded, they're pig-headed. Third, legalists are hard-hearted. Look at verse 5. After looking around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, he said to them, stretch out your hand, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. Now, what word pops out of that verse? Anger. Jesus was angry. And because of that alone, this this verse is unique. Mark 3, 5, listen, it's the only time in the Bible that explicitly says Jesus became angry. I'm just a messenger, okay? (laughs) You know this word, anger? It means violent passion. So, Jesus didn't have a little tiny annoyance. He didn't have a little irritation. He didn't have a minor frustration. You know, like when you walk into Starbucks... And you pay $3 for a cup of coffee, and it's cold and stale. And you're like, dude, I just paid $3 for a cup of coffee. Give me a fresh one, right? That's annoying. At least for me, at least. Now, as much as I love coffee, I've never manifested violent passion to the poor barista. I promise. Jesus was violently mad. He was wrathful. He had holy indignation for these Pharisees. He definitely got angry on other occasions. Remember John 2 where Jesus became so inflamed with rage that when he discovered how men had made the temple a robber's den, what did he do? The Lord Jesus literally took Materials and made a whip. He made a weapon. And he he, he marched into the temple, swinging it, turning over tables and dumping out money boxes. And he said to the people there, take these things away. Stop making my father's house a place of business. Nowhere in the text does it say he got angry. But (laughs) can you imagine a happy Jesus doing that? Can you imagine with a smile and a really soft tone saying, hey, take this somewhere else. No, he was livid. On another occasion, Jesus confronted the arrogance of the Pharisees. Have you ever read Matthew 23? You read that. You can, you can feel the red-hot, boiling anger of Jesus. Matthew 23, he literally goes on a tirade against the Pharisees. He levels eight woes. He levels them directly on top of them, like the mother of all bombs. Let me just read to you a few real quick. Matthew 23, verse 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! Because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much of a son of hell as yourselves. Wow. How about Matthew 23, verse 33? Jesus says, you serpents, you brood of vipers, how will you escape the sentence of hell? To me, that's a pretty fiery Jesus right there. And so I I bring this out just to simply show you that, that Jesus did manifest righteous, holy Anger towards whom? Pharisees. Why did he become so angry? Why? What was it that sets Jesus off? It was the sin of religious hypocrisy. One of my heroes and professors, Dr. Stephen J. Lawson says, what is interesting is that Jesus never became angry with non-religious people. Religious hypocrites was what made Jesus arrive at his boiling point. Those who play church because they trifle with holy things. Those who play fast and loose with the scripture. Those who corrupt the gospel. Those who invent their own rules and traditions as the standard. Those are the ones who provoke the fury of Christ. So, brothers and sisters, be careful that you do not become hard hearted like the Pharisees. Because, listen, it angers and it grieves the Lord. If you want to make Jesus angry, become hard-hearted. Now, I'll be transparent with you as your shepherd. I could say where I'm at in my walk with the Lord, I have battled this the most. It's so easy for me to feel like a victim. To feel resentful. To feel let down. To feel betrayed and neglected. By people who I thought loved me. And if I'm not careful. Those kinds of emotions. Will lead me to become. The most hard hearted man you've ever known. And I know that. I've started to harden my heart when I fail to apply basic truths I know and preach. So be aware of hard heartedness. It will turn into a Pharisee quicker than you can see it coming. So back to verse five. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. Now again, just like in chapter 1 of Mark, Jesus performed this miracle as an undeniable and instant proof that he was God. In that moment, the man gained normal feeling in his hand and strength in his hand. And I feel like I must point out again, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but... You know what they say, repetition is the mother of all learning, right? Note here that by doing this, Jesus is not interested in diplomacy with the Pharisees. Jesus knows their true intention of being there. Jesus knows their tradition, and he does not only not comply. He embarrasses them. Jesus embarrasses these leaders in public. On their own turf. He flat out. Breaks their rule. Right in front of their face. So what I think we can take away from this little verse. Is that we need to be sensitive to weak and immature believers. Yet. And I'm passionate about this. Do not cower. To legalists. Jesus didn't, as we can see here and clearly in the last passage. So we don't have to either. Finally, our passage this morning reveals a fourth characteristic of a legalist. Finally, I think it's clear to see that they're malicious. Legalists tend to be close-minded, pig-headed, hard-hearted, and malicious. Look at verse 6. The Pharisees went out and immediately began conspiring, meaning to take counsel with or consult others. Instead of responding to the teaching and the miracle that they just saw in faith and repentance, the Pharisees literally seek out a plan to deal with Jesus for good. They want to put him in the ground. So? So? They concoct a scheme that involves getting a bigger following. They start to reach outside of their inner circles in order to hatch a scheme. Look at the text. It says they conspire with the Herodians. Now, quickly, there's a lot of history that could be taught, but for the sake of time, let me just be brief here. The Herodians, they were the irreligious or secular worldly political group that was loyal to Herod the Great, and by extension, Rome. The Pharisees needed to get the Roman government on their side, so that, as the text says, they might destroy him, kill him. Now, why? Why would these Pharisees breach their own rules? Right? Legalists can break their own rules, but no one else can break the rules, right? So they break their own rules, and they actually try to form an alliance with a group of people that they view as traitors to their own people. This is how much they hate Jesus. They are so malicious to the point where they are willing to partner with their own enemies. Because Jesus had become a greater enemy that day. Jesus Public enemy number one in their eyes. And to the Herodians, they thought the same thing. The uh, Pharisees wanted him dead because they openly opposed their system. But the Herodians saw Jesus as a threat to the power of Herod and Rome. And they need Rome. Remember why? Why did they send Jesus to Pilate? Because the Jews had no authority to kill him. And so these Pharisees they instigate this plan to get permission from Rome to kill Jesus. So with this account in these first 6 uh, excuse me first 6 verses of Mark 3 the plan to crucify our Lord is set in motion. And now think about this. Simply because Jesus refused to pander to self-righteous, hypocritical religion. There exist tares among the wheat, brothers and sisters. The tares are usually detected when malicious intent is evident. Just as the Pharisees acted maliciously toward Jesus, there are unknowable, there is an unknowable amount of legalists in churches all over the world who have the capacity to do what the Pharisees are doing here. Legalistic, malicious people might not try to have their churchmen killed, but they might. They may certainly try to cause division. They may certainly try to spread slander. They may try to maliciously go around the backs of their leaders and teach strange doctrine. They may conspire against the leadership. There are malicious people in the church of Jesus Christ. You know, I heard this story from another one of my professors that really impacted me. He was at a church in some deep south city. Where, you know, as I've heard, the culture is just different, right? It's a churchianity. It's, it's cultural to go to church, right? Here, they'll tell you I'm not going to church. Thank you. Bye. Right? In the south, everyone goes to church. And so what happens often when there is a sound exposition of reformed teaching, people get upset. They become closed-minded, unteachable, pig-headed, and malicious. What happened to this brother was that at some time during the night, a guy broke into the church office one of his own sheep, broke into the church office, and he he went to the filing cabinet, and he got all of the addresses of all the members. And it was a big church, thousands. And, 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 And somebody took those addresses and sent a letter out to everybody in the church that said, check one of two boxes. We are a Calvinist church, or we're a Baptist church. And so... That started a snowball. There was a division. Half said, We're Baptist, which meant Arminian to them. Half said, No, we're going to follow our pastor and we're going to embrace these truths. He ended up getting kicked out, he ended up being forced to leave. So we need to observe that malicious behavior is a characteristic of a Pharisee, not of the truly regenerate. So as we have briefly surveyed these four characteristics of illegalists, I must ask, brothers and sisters, as I've asked myself even this morning as I was putting the finishing touches on this sermon, do you observe any of these characteristics in your own life? Do you tend to be closed-minded to sound biblical teaching? Do you tend to be so pig-headed, stubborn, that you're unwilling to be confronted and challenged with the truth? Do you tend to be hard-hearted against Christ and His Word or against others? Even tempted to behave maliciously towards the people in this room. So, think on these things, meditate on these things, and with God's help and favor, plead for the grace of God to mortify any degree of legalistic tendencies in your life. For the sake of your soul, for the sake of the unity of our fellowship, and ultimately, for the glory of God alone. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that your word is clear. Thank you that we can understand it. Lord, please help us to reject and repent of any type of Phariseeism in our thinking and in our life. Our sin is great, but your grace is greater, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.